What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of X Knows All. This is going to be like a classic X Knows All episode. In true X Knows All form, I started the show of doing these deep dives on specific celebrities, and I figured, you know, this is there's not going to be a guest. It's going to be a totally solo episode talking about Macaulay Culkin. And I figured because we're now in December, we're in the holiday season, what is Christmas without Home Alone? in a classic Exxon's All Deep Dive. And I must admit, the inspiration behind this episode was this TikTok that I came across that discusses Macaulay Culkin's traumatic upbringing and like just the shit that happened with his parents and his childhood and how his dad played such a pivotal role in who he's now become and the trauma that he sustained. And I think this TikTok was, was inspired by Macaulay having just received his Hollywood star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame on November 27th, making him the 2,765th recipient of the star. And like, the more I think about this, if there's over 2,700 folks that have stars, is it really that amazing and a feat to receive a star? Let me know. Let me know in the comments. But a lot of this episode is going to be deep diving into his parents because as I always say, it begins at familial trauma and what our parents did to mess us up. And when I was doing research for this episode, a lot of this gave me, was so reminiscent of how Brittany's parents contributed to her success and ultimately her downfall. I just finished the woman in me memoir. I, I literally read it the night that it came out. I finished the entire thing front to back it's really quick. It's a really fast read. I think I finished it in three and a half hours and I'm never one to be, I'm never that person that finishes a book in like a day or two. It always takes me a couple of weeks, but this one was so juicy and salacious and gave me everything, like scratched every itch that I was needing. And Macaulay's upbringing honestly reminds me so much of Bernie Spears, of young kids who grew up very poor and impoverished homes, parents that were, you know, scraping by, working odd jobs trying to provide for their family and I think the one thing that's different from Bernie Spears's family to Macaulay's is Macaulay grew up with a huge family so many siblings and we obviously think of Kieran and Culkin who's a huge star now we know Rory Culkin but there are so many other children in their family and I think that adds a layer of even more poverty to an already poor family having to provide for seven children under one roof and I always kind of question, and I'll get into the episode, but I think the one thing I wanted to point out was it always makes me question parents that throw their young child into the limelight so quickly. It always takes me back to Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, who I have loved and adored, and like really they were the reason for my love of celebrity pop culture from a very young age. I've talked so much about you know, going to Walmart, making my parents drive me to Walmart so I could get their clothes. Or I had every single book, their Mary Kay and Ashley, Adventures of Mary Kay and Ashley, and their So Little Time books, and their Two of a Kind books, and the dolls, and I was part of their fan club. Like, I was just, I love them so much. And I think the more I think about their life, and Mary Kay has even talked so much about her life and having, you know, she'll watch videos of herself, her younger self, on this on these you're invited series you're invited come on we got a lot to do you're invited we're excited and it did it to see you and then the mystery series you guys remember those um like 
was it like the Avengers of Mary Kate Nashley or the Who got the hope real diamond? Who killed the dinosaurs or whatever that song goes? They Mary Kate talks about looking back at those videos and just seeing herself as a show monkey. She doesn't even recognize herself. And in the interview, they had asked her, you know, if you had children, would you want them to have a similar upbringing as you? And she said that she would never wish her upbringing on any child. And let us not forget that her parents thrust a young newborn, Mary Kay and Ashley, onto the set of Full House. And the only reason they got the job was because they didn't cry on set. And then all of a sudden they became a billion dollar empire as executive producers of Dulcar. Like it all began at the parents forcing their newborn children onto the set of a TV show. And the same thing happened with Macaulay Culkin where his parents were very poor. They saw an opportunity and they grabbed it and they thrust him into the spotlight. And he is now the most, I would say, recognizable child stars of our generation. It makes me really, really empathetic for him. And when he received his Hollywood star last week, he said in his his speech, in a nod to his kids and to his wife, Brenda, he said, I've got something to show for it. It took me a long time to get to that place. I want nothing in need for you. E- I want for nothing and need for even less. I am good, man. And it makes me really happy that it it seems, I know you you never know what goes on behind the surface, but it, it seems as if he's kindly found his his grounding, his footing, his happiness with his little family that he's created. And he's been able to kind of disband himself for all, from all of the trauma that he's had to sustain as a young child actor and especially with his familial trauma with his dad particularly. It seems as if he's really healed and he's created the life that he's deserved. And I'm really rooting for him. I mean, I was never really a Macaulay Culkin stan, I guess. I wasn't super into him. Uh, admittedly, I don't I don't think I've ever seen Home Alone. I think this may be the holiday in which I should, should do so. But kind of doing my research, I'm like, wow, I'm really just rooting for him. And let's, and I'll dive into the Michael Jackson stuff as well into this episode, but You know, the main things I want to cover is really, you know, his father, his upbringing, you know, the huge family living in a super small apartment in New York City, how Macaulay got his start, his parents' separation and him breaking away from his dad trying to steal his his money that he earned on set. Um, I'm also going to talk about a family tragedy that happened in his family uh, in the early 2000s with his with his sister Dakota. And then finally, I'll, I'll touch briefly on his relationship with Mila, their eight-year relationship. So let's go ahead and get get started into the Macaulay, the Macaulay deep dive. So Macaulay's father was actually an actor himself, and he appeared in the Broadway play Beckett in 1961 and the 1964 Broadway production of Hamlet, starring Richard Burton. He also played the role of a dancer in the original West Side Story film in 1961. And... <sighs> Macaulay's father, his own childhood was far from ideal either. So his father's name is Kit. Kit's sister, so Macaulay's aunt, uh, she starred in Die Hard and Parenthood. Her name is Bonnie Bedelia. She told the Chicago Tribune that their mother died when she and Kit, as well, their, as well as their brother Terry and sister Candace, were only teenagers. And their father had a medley of health problems that led them to being on their own in their apartment for nearly a full year. So talk about, there was this interview that I came across on TikTok where one of the interviewers was asking Macaulay, have you ever been left home alone? And he's like, 
Yeah, on purpose. And this, he was probably no, no older than like 12, maybe 13. That's actually even a stretch. He looked like he was 12 or 11. And he goes, yeah, sometimes on purpose. And they said, why do you think that is? And Macaulay goes, I don't know. They just decided to leave me there. And I think, you know, this was like the 80s, the early 90s. Shit was different back then. And the standards of parenting were far different than they are in 2023, which is nearly 30 years later. But the fact that Macaulay's grandfather would leave Macaulay's father and his siblings alone in an apartment for nearly a full year just kind of shows the the foundation at which Macaulay's grandfather raised his own dad. So how did Macaulay's parents meet? So Macaulay's mom, her name is Patricia, met Macaulay's father Kit in 1974 in Sundance, Wyoming when she was directing traffic at a construction site and she was so breathtakingly beautiful that Macaulay's father Kit stopped his truck. It was like love at first sight. And it's it's weird because in a lot of the research they'll use Macaulay's father's name interchangeably between Chris and Kit. So you'll hear both names used in my research, but they have been together since 1975. And although they never actually married, they had all these child, all these children out of wedlock. They later separated uh, nearly 20 years later in 1995. As of today, Macaulay's estranged from his father and has been since he was a teenager, but he still does keep in touch with his, with his mother. So what is their what is their family story? They the family moved to New York City and they welcomed Macaulay in 1980 and he's the third of seven children and they grew up incredibly incredibly poor as I mentioned up top. As the children grew up, Kit slash Chris Macaulay's father worked as a taxi driver before landing a job as a sacristan and I had to look up what this term meant. Not being a religious girly myself, uh, he was a sacristan for a Catholic church on the Upper East Side in New York City. And a sacristan is a sexton or a, basically a person who manages the churchyard. And his mom was a telephone operator. So very minimal, minimal means in this family of, of seven children and two adults. The family lived in a railroad style apartment where the five kids, the five kids that were born at the time shared two bunk beds in a single room. And Kieran Culkin describes it saying, quote, it was just a hallway and there were no separating doors except for the bathroom, which didn't even have a lock. He said in an interview with Vanity Fair in 2018, and he later said they raised seven kids in that apartment for years. They just kept bringing babies home to this little place and just kind of shows you how physically cramped they were and how poor they were. How did Macaulay get his start? So someone in that very apartment building in New York City was um, a manager at the Ensemble Studio Theater. And... This neighbor of theirs introduced the family to a casting director whose name was Billy Hopkins, who gave Macaulay his first job at the age of six in the 1998 drama Rocket Gibraltar, starring Burt Lancaster. And Bill Hopkins, as casting director, recalls, you know, and remembers their humble upbringing, uh, telling New York Magazine in 2001, they were so poor I had to use my own money to make sure that Macaulay got to and from rehearsal. Macaulay would crawl under ble the bleachers at the theater to look for change that had fallen out of people's pockets. And this is a bit of a tangent, but something about people just doing the most innocent, humble things to retrieve money. Like I would think about the times that I lived in San Francisco and people would sometimes like make fun of older Asian people that were at Golden Gate Park while we were drinking and just being degenerative young adults they would like, there would be young, like really, really, sorry, not young, really old Asian people just picking up trash. And it's like, 
people that are getting money in the most honest, humbling way or people that, you know, are maids and are cleaning toilets, when everyone, when people just bash people like that or say, we don't need immigrants in this society, it's like, oh, so do you think you're humble enough to go and scrub someone else's toilets? Like people that just have an honest way of making money or little kids like Macaulay, who was, you know, at the ripe age of six, starring in plays and dramas, crawling under bleachers to look for, you know, lost pocket change. It just, it's so humbling and sad. That's the best way I can describe it. Bill Hopkins later was heard saying that even after Macaulay had landed his role in Home Alone and the family was able to upsize their home, they still lived like they were incredibly poor. And I think that's so, that's such an interesting way about life when people grow up without a lot of money and even as they acquire more and more wealth, they still live well below their means. And I think that really shows, not saying that they were <laughs> money talks wealth whispers as Exynos all saying, but that's such a like indic- indication of true wealth. And I'm not just speaking about the Colkin family. I'm just saying in general, I remember listening to this, how I built this podcast where the founder and CEO of Airbnb, Brian Chevsky was saying how even when he acquired so much wealth, the once Airbnb took off, he still drove his like normal Honda Accord car. And I always just find that really admirable when people just acquire so much wealth and they still have a lot of, a lot of humble beginnings. Uh, as the family continued, you know, as Macaulay continued to get more and more work, his brother Kieran, who we all know and love mainly from Succession, started alongside him in Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and another movie called Only the Lonely. Kieran also starred in the Father of the Bride series, which, oh my god, let's just take a quick moment of silence for Father of the Bride. How that movie literally created me, that reminds me so much of home and their cozy home in San Marino and... I just love that movie. It's like the best feel-good movie you will ever watch. And it's so funny. I love Martin Short. He's one of my favorite actors, comedic actors of all time. If you guys haven't seen the movie Clifford with Martin Short when he was like in his 20s, I don't even know how I came across that movie or who even introduced me to this strange movie. But Martin Short is brilliant in the movie. He plays this really almost like kind of on the spectrum young child who's obsessed with this Disneyland Disneyland type theme park called Dinosaur World and terrorizes his uncle to try and make him go to said amusement park. It's literally unhinged, but he's just magic in that movie Clifford and his magic in Father of the Bride. Kieran also started movies like She's All That and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World and in this TikTok that I was watching, Kieran said in an interview, we had so many children, it was almost got, it got to the point where my parents were like, oh, you need a kid? Pick a sex and an age because we got them because there were so many children in the family and they put all these young children to work. And obviously today he's best known for playing Roman Roy in HBO's Succession, which I just binged the entire series uh, over the past couple of months. And ugh, I love that show. And I just, I feel like Roman Roy is Kieran Culkin. I don't know if you guys feel the same. Uh, Macaulay's younger brother Rory has portrayed younger versions of him in several projects including Richie Rich and Igby Goes Down Kieran also starred in You Can Count on Me opposite Laura Linney and in Signs with Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix and then of course their third brother there's Rory Culkin he has been in movies like Scream 4 has starred in Law and Order SVU and Under the Banner of Heaven what's completely traumatizing and sad that I had no idea about was 
the children's late sister, Dakota Culkin, was an art production assistant before she died in 2008 at the young age of 29 when she was struck by a car and killed. And this is so sweet and literally makes me want to cry because Macaulay Culkin and Brenda Song have two children and their firstborn, their son, who's now two years old, was named after Macaulay's late sister, Dakota. Which is, oh my God, it like made me want to cry when I read that. So what happened in her death? So Dakota had just moved to LA on the search for a career in the film industry opposite, you know, her brother's. And she wasn't into acting. She didn't want to be in front of the camera like Karen and Macaulay. Actually, she wanted to make a name for for herself behind the scenes in film production. And Dana Schroeder, a director who had worked with Dakota, had told people in an interview that Dakota was humble, saying that she didn't want to get in front of the camera. She wanted to work behind the scenes. And another woman named Andrea Poe, one of her lost soul coworkers and friends, described Dakota as quite hilarious, witty, and down to earth. She said that Dakota was especially tight with her brother Macaulay. And Macaulay Culkin later came out saying that to Esquire magazine that he had actually spoken to his sister mere hours before she had been killed in that car accident. Uh, The media reported at the time that Dakota was walking on Lincoln Boulevard on the west side of LA, specifically in the Marina Del Rey neighborhood. And Vanity Fair said that she had just left the bar, which is called Brennan's. I don't know if it's still standing and where a car had struck her after she had left this Irish bar. New York Daily News disclosed that Dakota suffered, survived long enough to be taken to the UCLA hospital, and she died soon after, having sustained severe head trauma. The driver stopped. He rendered aid and identified himself as required by law. Uh, LAPD announced in a statement, and the detectives had determined that the driver was not under the influence of drugs or al- alcohol, so no crime had been con- committed. It was truly just an accident. Lieutenant Fred Coral, the LA County Department of Coroner's offices, told uh, People magazine that Dakota was probably under the influence of alcohol when she was hit. I mean, that's probably, that's highly likely since she had just left a pub. Although Lieutenant Coral could not confirm Dakota's blood alcohol level, the Colkin family allegedly confirmed to uh, to Lieutenant Coral that Dakota was in fact in therapy for alcohol dis- addiction. But Macaulay heavily disputes this fact. He has said that he has really poignant memories of the night that his sister died, one that that doesn't really add up to the reports that Dakota had been in therapy for alcohol addiction. Um, he said that she was not intoxicated at the time of her death, and he told Esquire magazine that Dakota had just watched the movie Party Monster with her roommate the night that she died. And after she had watched the movie, she had called up her brother Macaulay to congratulate him on that performance that she had just seen. And Macaulay has said that he responded, thanks, now go to sleep. And then he said when she got went out to go get some Gatorade and some cigarettes, she was hit by a car. And oh my God, this this part made me actually so freaking sad because after having watched Succession like and being very intimately, I feel like I very intimately know the Roy family and spe- especially Shiv. Kieran says that Dakota was the funniest one in the family. He said that her death was the worst thing that had ever happened and it's never going to be fine. It's always going to be devastating. I still weep about it out of nowhere. And then he said there's a little bit of Dakota and they, they nickname her Cody. They She's often referred to as Cody whenever they're speaking about her in interviews. But Kieran said that there's a bit of Cody in Shiv and that Kieran and Col- Colkin's character's sister in the HBO hit show Succession definitely reminds him of his late sister. Okay, let's go back to just the family upbringing. So 
Macaulay's parents finally separated after 21 years of being together. Uh, they separated in 1995, and the siblings were primarily raised by their by their mom once the parents had separated. And Macaulay was only 15 years old at the time of, of the separation. And remember, they weren't actually married, so they weren't divorced, just separated. The Colkins family manager told Vanity Fair in 2018 that uh, Patricia, the mom, maintained strong family values with the kids before and after the breakup. Uh, and she liked having the family together. She liked them having meals together. She said that she liked getting everyone around the Christmas tree and for Thanksgiving holidays. And she, the family manager said these are all really important things to Patricia. She really instilled that in their kids. And Kiernan has went on to say that he main, has since maintained a great relationship with his mom. And he said, quote, she's taught me a lot. She's a wonderful woman. And after three decades of living in New York City, she later remarried and she moved to a ranch in Billings, Montana. Now, what about his dad and all the allegations that Macaulay has said about his father? And a lot of this is he said, she said, and Kit Culkin, Macaulay's father, has since come out basically saying he doesn't even consider Macaulay a son. He said that fairly recently in an interview with, with Daily Mail. But Macaulay has been pretty outspoken about his strained relationship with his father and has accused Kit of being mentally and physically abusive and very resentful of Macaulay's career success. Um, Macaulay said in a uh, podcast interview with What the Fuck with Mark Marin in 2018 that Kit Culkin would tell Macaulay, do good or I'll hit you. Macaulay said that his father was a bad man. He was abusive physically and mentally. I can show you all my scars if I wanted to. He went on to say in a separate interview, my father was really good at, and then he pauses and he said, breaking people's spirits. Macaulay said that because his dad was his manager, he was the one who had to basically suffer the brunt of the father's abuse. So for instance, because the dad was the manager, he would be out with Macaulay shooting for movies, staying in hotel rooms, traveling. So when Macaulay and his father would be out shooting a movie, it was almost a respite for the rest of the siblings because they didn't have to deal with their father in the home. He was too busy managing Macaulay, 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 Macaulay's career. And he said, you know, better me than them, which isn't that just such an instinctual sibling instinct to just want to make sure that your siblings are protected and you're the one that has to face the brunt of everything? McCulkey, Mac oh my God, you guys, sorry, McCulkey. Macaulay said that his father, Kit, was very, very jealous of his fame. He said, quote, everything he tried to do in life, I excelled at before I was even 10 years old. He explained, adding that his father pressured him to work even when he didn't want to any longer and often made him sleep on a couch, didn't even give him the decency of his own bed, even though he was bringing in all the money to afford said bed. It's bullshit. And you know what this really reminded me of was Matthew Perry's memoir. And I'm about 75% of the way through uh, of his posthumous, now, now posthumous autobiography. And Matthew Perry describes the first many chapters of the book about his own relationship with his own father and how Matthew Perry's father left their family and the mom and to have his mom raise him alone in Canada while he went off to LA and pursued a career and basically the as hard as Matthew Perry's father worked his fame was one iota compared to Matthew Perry's after he started in Friends and a lot of people at the time recognized Matthew Perry's father as the old spice guy it's like Jake from State Farm right? It's these recognizable advertising type of characters, but they're not movie stars. They're not huge A-list celebs. And it's very interesting that it feels 
when parents don't have this unfulfilled dream that they were never able to acquire at the age of their children or even now in their lives, it's it's like this juxtaposition of wanting success for your kid because you didn't you didn't achieve it, nor were you even able to achieve it or close to achieving it, but then becoming very resentful for your kids for getting what you never had. And I think about this from almost a like a beauty pageant perspective. You have all these weird like beauty pageant moms out there putting a full-blown face on their seven-year-old kid, getting them all dolled up and dressed up. And maybe that's what you knew what you were when you were a child, but times are changing and maybe your little girl doesn't want to do that. And it's like putting these weird false notions of what success looks like to the parent onto the kid I'm not a parent so I don't know what that's like to put your unrealized dreams onto another child onto a child but I just can't imagine that's really healthy I don't know I just saw a lot of parallels between how Macaulay described his burgeoning career in comparison with his father's and Matthew Perry's with his dad I was just like whoa this is almost too similar so uh, for kids like Kit, uh, Macaulay's father had a partner. Her name was Jeanette. Of course, Jeanette denies that uh, Kit was ever abusive to any of the children. She even told New York Magazine that Patricia, Macaulay's mother, lied to the kids for years to alienate them from their father. It's like, okay, you weren't even there. You weren't even there, okay? Jeanette said, quote, my analysis is that she, meaning she, Patricia, the mom, was the only one not getting famous and she felt left behind. The kids do what mom tells them to because through the years, mom has said, your father doesn't love you. Your father doesn't love you. Like, shut up. This is family shit. Get out of it. What's especially sad, which really made me think of Aaron Carter and how his parents, primarily his mom, tried to steal from his trust and from his finances. And of course, because when you're at that young age, you don't have the power of attorney to manage your own finances. So of course, your parents are going to be the the ones that are managing everything for you when you're six years old, not even knowing what the meaning of a dollar <laughs> looks like. But as Macaulay grew older, he was realizing like, wait, why am I not reaping any of the benefits of all of what I've earned? I was on set. I was the one rehearsing lines. I was the one working with adults on set. Why do I not have any visibility to my finances? And ultimately, uh, Macaulay's father, because he was the one that managed Macaulay's career from a very young age and his contracts and his finances, Macaulay's father began to develop a really bad reputation of being very difficult to work with. He reportedly delayed films, including The Good Son and The Nutcracker, due to his outlandish demands, according to the New York Times. And despite his dad negotiating on Macaulay's behalf in Hollywood, Macaulay said it wasn't until his parents' custody battle when he was only 15 years old, that he learned he was worth about $50 million. But because his father kept him in the dark about his finances, he had no idea that all this money was contractually his. And Macaulay went on to say in an interview with New York Magazine, my father would hide newspapers from me so I wouldn't read the stuff about him or find out about how much I was earning. Talk about shady shit. Like, I can't even imagine... And I'm very fortunate to have adoring parents who their success is my success. And again, this is a privilege that I have. But I can't even imagine a parent with a full, fully adopted brain. You know, you're past the age of 26 at this point. You know that whatever your child, when your child is working, they're owed that money. And for you to be shadily taking away their funds 
is so wrong. It, it literally, to me, would require jail time. How is it any different from stealing from a small business to which you have no connection to from stealing from your own child? Like it is so inhumane and horrible and all the more hurtful because it comes directly from your own family member. It's horrible. So after Macaulay found out about his earnings, he learned that the only way he could access all of that money, all of that $50 million, was if he removed Kit from the trust fund. And because he didn't want to make it messy, he basically pulled out both of his parents' names and opted for an executor for his trust until he was of age. He said, quote, I had millions and millions of dollars in the bank and my mother couldn't pay the rent because she was spending all of her money on lawyers, probably because of the custody battle, I'm assuming. He said, we were about to get evicted from our own apartment and Meanwhile, he's like, I could probably help, but no one's giving me access to my own funds. Speaking with New York Magazine in 2001, Macaulay shared that he hadn't seen his father since 1997, so it's literally been over two decades since he last saw his father when that custody dispute ended. Macaulay also noted that when Kit disappeared, he stole, he quote, Kit stole all of my memorabilia, like my very first costume and all the things I collected over the years. For now, my opinion is the further away he is, the better the better when it comes to like everything. We think he's in Arizona. That guy always wanted to be a cowboy. Kieran revealed to Vanity Fair that he too was estranged from his father. He said, quote, he's not a good dude, but he wasn't really a big part of my life after the age of 15, saying that his mother was just the true parent in the relationship with his, his parents. In January 2014, Kit suffered a massive stroke, TMZ reported, and Kieran told The Hollywood Reporter recently in 2021 that his father came to watch him in a play after he had suffered said stroke. Kieran said he carried cards around him that said, I'm not stupid. I understand you. I just had a stroke, which is, <laughs> I'm just now understanding that. Like, you know, when people, it reminds me of that episode of Friends when like Rachel when Julie comes with Ross after coming back from a trip from China and Ross is like, this is my girlfriend, Julie. And Jennifer Aniston's character, Rachel, screaming like, hi, my name is Rachel. Like, and then Julie's like, hi, like I'm from New Jersey. That's what it's giving. And for me, it's like, if you haven't seen your children in over two decades, the first thing that you're going to make sure that they know is that you can you can understand what they're saying just because you had a stroke doesn't mean you're stupid. Like, aren't you going to write them something a little bit more sentimental? Uh, Kieran said that after that, that visit from Kit at his play, they never spoke again. And Macaulay wrote a book called Junior in 2006. And he said in the book, I think there's two different fathers that I have. I have my father and I have the one in my head. He told New York Magazine that same year. The real one is gone and should be gone. He explained that the part of his reason for writing this memoir was to put the father in his head to rest and gain closure on their relationship, partly because Kit would never take accountability for how he treated him and the siblings. And Macaulay said, quote, he would black out all the terrible things that he did, and that hurt me more, because he'd go to bed at night thinking he was a good person. People do bad things in their lives, and these sorts of things are forgivable. That's half the point of having a, com a confession in church. You need to be able to fess up to what you've done. He just could not. As for what Macaulay's father taught him, Macaulay shared that I knew from a very early age that I better take notes from him. Notes on how not to be, notes on how I don't want to be when I grow up. Woof. We can't really talk about the Macaulay of it all without talking about Michael Jackson. So I did watch Finding Neverland, which is that documentary on Max. I watched it a couple years ago and 
there was a couple episodes and I, I truly couldn't finish it because it was so disturbing. And do I think that Michael Jackson hurt and abused young boys? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And I know he was acquitted. But it, also there's this, I don't want to get canceled for this. It just, uh, there's this thing in my brain where he has such a reminiscent, fond part of my brain of memories that I shared with my family growing up. Like we would, my dad had this record play- player. My dad's super into music. And we would play like Michael Jackson records. And me and my sister would be dancing in like our dad's bedroom and like listening to Michael Jackson. And I've always had this affinity for the memories that Michael Jackson's music was able to bring like me and my family growing up. Can two things exist at once? Like yes, Michael Jackson could be an abusive person and we could also like f- find his music as like a solace for good memories in our own right. Um, and I guess... Do I think that Macaulay Culkin was abused by Michael Jackson? He stands to the say, obviously, that no, nothing happened. And when he was on Mark Maron's What the Fuck podcast in 2018, he affirmed his relationship with Michael Jackson, calling the singer, quote, my best friend growing up for a good, fat stretch of my life, end quote. There's extensive footage online that you can find of both Kieran and Macaulay playing with both Michael and Janet Jackson at Neverland Ranch. And Macaulay describes first meeting Michael Jackson backstage at the Lincoln Center when he was only nine years old and where he danced the role of Fritz in the play The Nutcracker. And Macaulay recalls, he came backstage before the show. He loved dance. He was a dance man. He came backstage with Donald Trump. And he said that the pair didn't become close until Macaulay Culkin appeared in the 1990 film Home Alone, which launched him into the stratosphere. And while he was on the stand when Michael Jackson was being tried for the molestation and uh, abuse charges, Macaulay recounted their first call where Michael Jackson had said, I think I understand kind of what's happening and I'd like to get together and talk. Later, uh, Macaulay famously appeared in Michael Jackson's 1991 music video, Black or White. In 2004, Larry King had asked Macaulay if he'd appear as a character, character witness in Michael Jackson's trial. And at the time, Macaulay responded, probably not. Like I said, it's crazy and I don't really want to be a part of it. I'm not saying I wouldn't do something like that. It just hasn't been brought up to me and I don't think I would want to either. However, Macaulay did end up appearing at the trial, answering never and absolutely not when asked if Michael Jackson had ever molested or improperly touched him and adding that the allegations being brought against the singer were absolutely ridiculous. On the stand, Macaulay recounted visits to Neverland Ranch between the ages of 10 to 14 and that included activities that they played like water balloon fights, movie screenings, late night video game sessions. And during the trial, Macaulay reputed testimony from Neverland Ranch's former chef and Michael Jackson's former personal maid, both of whom claimed to have seen inappropriate conduct between Michael Jackson and Macaulay Culkin when he was a minor. And Macaulay responded to that saying, quote, I couldn't believe that, first of all, these people were saying these things or let alone that it was out there and people were thinking that kind of thing about me. But House employees later went on to say that they did, in fact, witness Michael Jackson with his hands down Macaulay's pants in the shower together, naked in the jacuzzi together, and the list goes on and on. Sorry, super disturbing. Uh, Macaulay also testified that with the exception of one or two days solo at Neverland, he was always accompanied by, quote, some kind of combination of my siblings or parents when visiting Michael Jackson. Sometimes Michael Jackson visited him and he Macaulay said I would be staying at a hotel and he'd come and pick me and my brothers up and we'd sneak into a movie theater like in the middle of the night and he also described after hours shopping trips at Toys R Us 
And he said, quote, we would just kind of show up in the middle of the night and scare the janitor, which, holy shit, that sounds so fun. Like, I remember going into Toys R Us as a young kid and just being, like, so enthralled by everything and every anything and everything in that store. And then having, like, the store all to yourself, like, how fun. Um, as Macaulay said during the trial, whenever I was at Neverland, my little brother was kind of always tagging along with me. So he was usually anywhere I was. And that's, of course, referring to Kieran and Colkin. And Kieran has been tight-lipped and has never spoken publicly about his experience with Michael Jackson. And something that just came to my mind was Roman Roy's character. And every time I'd watch Succession, part of what was so fun about watching Succession was the intricacies of the dialogue and character development and feeling like every time I watched, there would be something I missed and that the other viewers would have to say about that specific episode on, on Reddit. And there was a lot of speculation about whether or not Roman Roy's character was molested as a child. There's a ton of rhetoric of that online and how he is emotionally, not completely emotionally immature. I I think that's even, that's under, that's not even really saying the issue enough. He sexualized every single thing. He would make a lot of incest jokes with both his dad and Shiv and Something about Karen's character on that show was very disturbing and the way that he was unable to be sexually intimate with any anyone except only when he was being degraded by Jerry's character or those jokes about that they would have of Logan beating the shit out of Roman Roy or the kids putting him in a dog cage, like how he likes submission. And there's just a lot of – you guys can go down a rabbit hole about that – about Roman Roy's character having been molested, but it just, it kind of gives me a chill up my spine now that I'm talking about this Michael Jackson thing. I didn't even put that together when I was writing the episode, but it's almost, it seems almost like a nod a bit to when life imitates art or when art imitates life, where Roman Roy was allegedly potentially molested as a child and there's rhetoric about Macaulay maybe having been molested by Michael Jackson, but also... If Kieran was one step behind Macaulay, was Kieran a victim? I mean, that I've never even heard really explored. It's always a spotlight on Macaulay. Anyway, continuing on, Macaulay appeared at the trial to defend Michael Jackson, and he also confirmed some of the evac- accusations that one of Michael Jackson's victims makes in the documentary, including the presence of an alarm on Michael Jackson's bedroom door. Macaulay said, quote, there was like a walkway kind of thing where if somebody was approaching the door, it would kind of like ding dong, ding dong. Macaulay testified when anybody anybody would approach the room. Yeah, you hear that soft kind of alarm, like ding dong kind of thing. During the trial, Macaulay answered questions about where he and his brother slept at the ranch. And Macaulay said, quote, I would fall asleep. I would flop down. We'd fall asleep in the movie theater. He has beds in the movie theater. I'd flop down and fall asleep there, which that's weird. That you have, like, mattresses in the movie theater? That's really strange. Macaulay said that he'd spend the night in Jackson's bed 10 times at most before they traveled together to Bermuda in June of 1991 when Macaulay was only 10. He also confirmed that Michael Jackson gave him a Rolex at the age of 11 and they would talk on the phone for several hours at a time. Macaulay testifies that he stopped regularly visiting Neverland Ranch around the age of 14 in the same age that Wade Robson and uh, Safe Chuck said that they were when their close relationships to Michael Jackson started petering out. 
my colleague Holkin said he returned to the ranch with less frequency once he turned around 17, but with new sleeping arrangements. He said, quote, when I started coming back again, I found myself not sleeping in bed. And I've always kind of fell asleep in the guest units ever since then. And when he asked them why he no longer stayed in Jackson's room, Macaulay said, quote, because I enjoyed my privacy a little bit more. Take that what you will. That is very disturbing to me. And in the Finding Neverland docuseries, they do talk about how Michael Jackson would basically find a new young boy to groom once the boy at hand would get older and started hitting puberty and Michael Jackson wanted nothing to do with that boy and then make some other boy his whole life. The last thing I want to talk about is Mila Kunis and Macaulay Culkin's relationship that a lot of people forget about. They dated for eight years between 2002 and 2010 when they were both in their 20s and their split wasn't bad because it caused her devastating sadness. She told Dax once in an Armchair Expert episode, she said it was bad because she made it a horrible breakup. She said, quote, no, I fucked up. Like I was an asshole in my 20s and I'll be the first to admit it. And that's kind of something that took me a long time to come out and say, yeah, you know what? I was a dick and I accept it and I own it now and it's fucked up what I did and it's fucked up how I did it. Also, and so when I got to be single, I said, I just need to figure myself out. Like I generally need to know why I did what I did and like regroup myself as a human. And so I just did that and subsequently after 6 p.m. was open for business. But I didn't want to date. I didn't want to be taken to the movies. I just wanted to have time for myself. Which like as a 20-something year old finding yourself out of an eight-year relationship, like I totally understand that. And there's never been confirmation that Mila did in fact cheat with Macaulay. There's of course been so many speculations surrounding that theory because of the way that she described their breakup like it was clearly her fault but she never says what exactly made it such that it was her fault but after they broke up in 2010 Macaulay was spiraling out of control it seemed after that breakup and there was all these heroin allegations and if you look up Macaulay Culkin drugs on google images like it's that famous picture where he's like in that green shirt and like a leather jacket and he looks very gaunt and very cracked out And there were all these allegations like he's on drugs, he's on heroin, he's addicted to heroin, but he's never confirmed that he was in fact addicted to heroin. He actually said in an interview once that he would wake up after the whole breakup and having to deal with life outside of that eight-year relationship and he just felt nothing. And he described that feeling of nothingness to be the most scary feeling ever because when you start to have indifference towards life, that's when shit gets scary. So... I guess in my closing thoughts after having researched the episode and looking at old interviews, he seems like someone who never had a fair shot at a fair life. And I think now that he's managing his own career, obviously as an adult, without the guy like the guidance of his parents, it seems like he's really doing projects that fulfill him and make him really happy. For example, he was on American Horror Story and Double Feature and I still really want to watch that series because I just I love American Horror Story and I really want to see Macaulay Culkin acting as like an an adult but it just seems like he never had a fair shot no matter what was going to happen it seemed as if his parents particularly his dad and his childhood and his home life was so tumultuous how could you have any normal shot at just any semblance of normalcy and it makes you kind of wonder about Kieran Culkin too because I know he's married and he seems to have you know although he's this huge star and everyone knows who he is and he's a household name because he was on one of the biggest shows on the planet 
it seems as if he's kind of kept a low profile and a semblance of privacy. So I'm just curious how Kieran has dealt with the fame. And Kieran has even talked about being younger and feeling badly for his brother, even when they were children, because people would look at him as some sort of spectacle, not as a human, just like as the kid from Home Alone. And he had to deal with that at such a young age. Macaulay had to deal with that. And then Kieran had to watch. And then, of course, don't even get me started on their sister dying right before she hit 30. Like, that's just, how could you ever get over that? It just seems like there's a lot of trauma sustained in this family. And I think based on this relationship that Macaulay now has with Brenda Song, just the way that he was speaking about her and the way that she was, you could see it in her face when the star on the Walk of Fame was unveiled. You can tell there's a real semblance of understanding and, and admiration and respect between one another. So I, I really just want the best for Macaulay. I really like him and Brenda Song together. I think that they really complement one another really nicely. And we we love that. I want happiness for Macaulay. I'm really rooting for him. That's the end of the episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And please give me a follow on Instagram. I am teetering right below 2K. And we all know that I know there's more of you that listen to this show. So I'd really appreciate uh, a follow on Instagram at xnozal. And if you have time, just review the podcast. You don't even need to write a review. Just give it five stars so I can go, you know, a little higher up in the charts. It really helps the show. I love you guys so much. I'll talk to you later. Bye.